Hi, I'm Yashwardhan from India, and I named myself. That's Yash from M25. This week, we're diving deep into his story on humans of Minerva. Welcome to Humans of Minerva, a podcast which captures the interesting stories of humans at Minerva. I'm your host, Leo, and today I'll be sitting down with Yash from M25. Hey, Yash. Is that a common thing in India? to name yourself? No, it's just something that I decided once that in grade four, I woke up one morning and I was like, you know what, mom and dad, I don't like my name and I want to change it. And they're like, cool, sure, go for it. And I found a big book of Indian names, like a thousand page, huge book. And then I went through that book and I found a name that I liked, which was Yashmurthan. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. What, what was your name before? And the reason why I changed it. I see. I'll investigate and... Uh... <laughs> A blackmail you with that one day. <laughs> but even the yeah. name, to me, the name Yash is very foreign still. Before I met you, I don't think I would ever know how to come up with Yash Varden. I think the first time I saw it, I was like, don't ask me how to pronounce that because I don't even want to try. Is there a reason why you like it so much? Is like there's some special connotation or just a good sounding name? Yeah, I think firstly, Yash is a very common Indian name, to be honest. There's a lot of people named Yash. I guess you just haven't met a lot of Indians. That's why you haven't met another Yash. But I guess when you're in Hyderabad, you're going to meet a lot of Indians. And then you'll hear how common the name Yash is yeah. in India. And specifically Yashwardhan because it just sounds nice. I think because it's so common, I've heard the name Yashwardhan in a few Indian films before. And I was like, you know what? That's a cool sounding name. And that's why I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going I'm to keep. Cool. So you've grown up in, I think, Lucknow, right? In India? Yes. I was born in Delhi because my entire like maternal family is in Delhi. So when I was born, my mom was in Delhi. But I've lived in a city called Lucknow my entire life, which is another northern city in India, like 500 kilometers away from Delhi. So not too far away. I also know as we were setting up, you had to shoo away your dog, which looks super cute. But apart from your dog, you have other siblings or... Yeah, I, I have an older brother. He is 26, six years older to me. And unfortunately, I never had a dog growing up. My dog, Buzo, we got him a couple of years ago in the pandemic, right when it, when it, it began. So in 2020, we got Buzo. I've asked my parents to get a dog for my fifth grade birthday. So for seven, eight years, every year, I would ask my parents to get a dog. And I finally got it the year I was leaving for college. Obviously, it sounds cool. Here, have a dog. Now get out of the house. So your older brother is, when you were growing up, was it very much like, he's done this, so I'm going to go do that too? Or was it more, uh, he's done this, so I'm not going to go do that? Or, I don't know, something in between? Hmm. I don't think it was, yeah, I never was like, my brother's done this, I'm, I'm going to do that. My brother is really into filmmaking oh. and acting and theater and music, but I'm really not into <laughs> that stuff. I guess we just like found ourselves in our own ways and we just pursued what we liked. So you don't like music. I'm personally very devastated but what, what, what are your interests then no there's there's a difference i love music i love listening to music whereas my brother he likes to make like edm kind of music he's into making music i'm into listening music <laughs> so it's good because then you just listen to whatever he makes yeah i guess i'm his number one fan and number one critic at the same time whatever he listens ever he makes i listen to, to that stuff and i give him feedback on it okay so then what are your interests yeah, I've always liked the social sciences and the humanities. I grew up as a proud history nerd. History was my 
favorite subject in school. And in high school in India, you've got to pick up one of three streams. You've got to either pick up science, humanities, or business. And I picked humanities, where in, in high school I studied economics, history, political theory, and math. Yeah, still was like typical Indian kid who did math. Didn't give that up. But other than that, I love football. I will say football again and not the other <laughs> S word because that's what it's supposed to be called. Academically, my main in interest would be to go on and pursue studies in economics. But other than academics, I'm into effective altruism. I'm into social impact and environment advocacy and public speaking. I actually picked that up when I was in early high school, late middle school. Yeah. yeah wow, that's very broad range of interest. I want to explore that later. But first, I want to know, like, do you think there was a cause for what made you so interested in these things? What was it like a person who inspired you or maybe like a book you read or some TV show or did you just like one day like hey this is really cool and I want a more gradual yeah I think it's a tough question and I think about this fairly often but like why do I like what I like and the answer to that mostly has been it's just intrinsic it's difficult to explain that when say I think I love history because I look at history not as an academic subject but I look at history as a story I do love films and watching films and reading about stories and that's how I look at history it's the story that is due like read it's like chronologically then it just makes sense it's a good story to learn about when I when I studied history in middle school I just felt that it was very interesting and I guess it kind of made me feel smart that you know I didn't know about this fact about my own country about my own history and now that, that I've read this chapter now that I've read this book I feel like I'm a lot more knowledgeable so the fact that it made me feel like I'm smart and that I liked it because it was in the form of a story is why I picked up history as a subject and for the other things like my interest in working towards climate change, sustainability, and social impact. I think that is very intrinsic. I still don't know. I don't have a logical explanation of why that is the case. It's just something that comes within me naturally that I want to spend my time, most of my time, all of my time, working on things which work for the improvement of our world and try and help as many people as possible. It's just intrinsic to me that I don't find materialistic things very enjoyable. I genuinely find happiness in volunteering, in helping somebody, in donating part of my incomes, whatever money I'm earning and whatever way that I can potentially impact somebody. Uh, I do find that very joyful. Growing up, my goal was to become an army officer because I wanted to serve my country and in a way, I guess, help my people. Then turns out because of my classes, I'm medically unfit to, <laughs> to join the army. So in seventh grade, I set on another mission to become a civil servant and I guess make laws for my own district, work on education, healthcare of the people of the district. I think you know what, that's a pretty good job and that's going to help a lot of people. And then I discovered the study of economics in high school. And then I was like, if I study economics, I could potentially help a lot more people by working on alleviating poverty or by reducing the impact of like climate change. And that's why I think I've pursued it since then because I think so far or from whatever I've learned that if I want to make the world a better place, that the most useful skills, the most useful knowledge can be found in this field. Yeah. Personally, with economics, I was like, eh, it's just numbers. Why would I ever study economics? But more and more that like, now that I sort of really more realized what economics actually is, it's like, it's becoming a lot more interesting because it's actually like, it's not just the government being like, okay, we need more money because there's too much inflation. But it's like, how can we help people out of poverty? How can we solve problems in the world? And actually, speaking of economics, you rented me a book 
called Poor Economics. I have a chapter left now, but it, the book is about behavioral economics sort of and trying to figure out the causes of poverty. And it touches on a lot of different countries, but it's largely based in India. And I think because India has so much poverty and it has so many examples of it, do you think that was a large reason for why you've chosen to pursue this line of work? Because you've been exposed to poverty and I guess, I, I don't want to assume this, but I'm assuming you live around people in poverty and been exposed to it? Yeah, definitely. I think that is true in the sense that even though I lent you that book, I personally haven't <laughs> finished it, but I did read a few chapters and whatever I've read was incredibly inspiring to me because like, like you said, it's based upon the poverty in, that is there mostly in India. I didn't think I needed a lot of statistics or a lot of logic to explain this to me, why I want to work on this. But once I read about statistics, like the largest amount of poor are in India and that just blows my mind that in a world where there is so so much wealth in other parts of the world like the US and other Western parts. There are so many billions of people out there who cannot suffice to pay for their education, food and healthcare. And I've watched a lot of lectures and interviews by the authors Abhijit Baraji and Esther Duflo and it really clicked with me. It was really impactful for me to learn about the state of the world today and the state of poverty specifically in my own country. I always witness poverty, but the truth is that 70% of the population in India lives in the rural areas. So if you're living in cities like Lucknow or Delhi or Hyderabad, you're in that 30% of urban areas and you don't say the actual state of of the country and that book gave perspective about yes I'm seeing poverty in my city but imagine how bad it is for the rural areas which is 70% of the Indian population I remember my first earnings at Medava as part of my work study earning like four and a half thousand dollars which I don't think is a lot if you look at it from the perspective of like the Western countries but right. the fact is most of my relatives do not make this much money just four and a half thousand dollars puts me I checked numerically puts me in the top 10 percentile by just earning four thousand dollars a year and that's how much inequality there is that's how much poverty there is and it's just intrinsic for me to spend my time learning about these things and potentially working to reduce this I read the book too and hearing you say that just put it's so much perspective. I know everything you've talked about is very much under the umbrella of social impact, right? Social impact means actually going out there and doing stuff, not just sitting at home studying. So what are, what are some of the things you've done to go out there and try to make an impact? Yeah, so I always like these things that I could do to help. Stuff like on my birthdays, my parents and I, we would celebrate my birthday by, say, going to an orphanage and wow. feeding people there on my birthday to celebrate that. Often, I saw some of my seniors who were going to good colleges. They had non-profit organizations and they would have like cleaning drives. I was a ninth grader who didn't think about college, but I just wanted to, I guess, clean the beach. And I went on several like lake and river cleaning drives in my city. On a larger scale in high school, I did two main things which was centered somewhere around social impact. Firstly, my friend and I, we started an initiative. I wouldn't call it an, an organization, but an initiative to reduce paper wastage in our city. So we would encourage people to recycle. We would hold workshops in schools, mostly like primary schools and middle school kids to recycle their products more and use their paper more sustainably. And we, we would like physically go to schools, ask them to put all their paper 
paper waste into one box and then we would collect those boxes and send those for recycling. And whatever money we made from that recycling, we would use that money to feed the people in slums in mm. my city. So I think this span of almost a year, we partnered with several schools and there's a, there's a big culture of like coaching institutions in India. So like training centers for specific subjects and they have a lot of paper waste in the sense that they would say every day gives their kids mm. a worksheet, a math worksheet, a book with like 50 pages worth of notes for physics or chemistry. And we also partnered with a lot of coaching institutes and we would collect that paper as well. This whole idea began from Model UNs because I did a lot of Model UN. So did my friend. And we noticed that in Model UNs, we're giving like notebooks and chit pads to take notes or send mm. replies or just talk with people. And all of that notebooks from the conferences was just being thrown into the general waste, which was very surprising to me and my friend. We thought that we had better recycling, but yeah. turned out we didn't. Majority of the country doesn't separate their waste and most of the paper that is being used by in Indians just goes into that waste and dump and doesn't actually get recycled. So we tried to get more people recycling and I think we recycled a thousand pounds of paper which made us generate revenue to feed approximately 100 families in the slum of our town. That was one of my projects which I worked on in high school and the other I think was not exactly social impact but I wouldn't argue that it was in the sense that it wasn't physical work but it it was online education work wherein I noticed that I'm personally someone because I guess of my humanities background I really enjoyed writing and there were not many writing opportunities for kids in India. I wanted to have a place. I think this also fits to my background in model human that I would go to conferences, talk about human rights, talk about the conflicts in the Middle East. And then after those two days, after those three days of the conference, we would just forget about it and move on mm -hmm. with our lives. And I didn't enjoy that. If we spend so much time learning about some topic and debating about that topic, we should take it forward. So because of my writing interest and of my interest in model UN, I made a blog in 11th grade, which is basically a chance for students in India, primarily at that time, to write about current issues. I understand that those writings would not be an expert opinion or something because we're naive school kids. But at least it gave them a platform to A, encourage them to learn about these topics and B, put their thoughts into coherent ideas with their writing. And because of those two main things, main two reasons, I started that blog, which I've spent most of my time in my high school. I also took a gap year wherein I worked full time on this website to scale it further. And when we were scaling, we specialized in economics and history. I think that's biased from my perspective perspective because I love those subjects. So if I wanted to have a blog which is specialized in some subject, it would be those because I would best be able to help with the writings in those areas. I think I'm really far proud of that, that work because I've had a lot of school kids be like, I did not know how to write when I started. And in six months of like writing an article, say every week with yeah. that practice and with the feedback which we gave, like I had a great team of editors who were working voluntarily along with me. We gave every school kid who submitted an article detailed feedback. And with time, with practice, over the span of weeks and months, we saw some brilliant, brilliant writers develop. And I think we're really, really proud of that work that we did in the sense that it gave them a chance to become much better writers and it gave them a platform to speak their mind and talk about things which they want to talk about. Wow, that's all I have to say.
I am curious about the blog though. So how how old were the kids you worked with? We had a lot of kids. We had people as young as say eighth graders who were 12 years old to people who were in grad school and they were in colleges in grad school. We had a very diverse team. So initially it began for Indians, but then by the gap year when I was working full time, we scaled to pretty much everywhere across the globe. We had people from the US, from England, from China, wow. from Hong Kong, from Taiwan, from Iran, and just all over the place. And because of that, we had a lot of diversity in our team as well. Diversity, not just in the age groups, but also in the ethnic backgrounds, in proficiency of their languages, in the topics which they want to discuss. So there was not a definite age group, but instead it was open to any student who wanted to write about things. And we didn't have a very thorough screening process. So if a kid was just like, I've never written a single article before and I'm really bad, but I want to write. Can you help me? And can I write for you? And we absolutely welcome them. Whatever writing they submitted to us, we would work with those writers, give them feedback and ensure that they get better. Wow. And it's still running today? The website is still up right now, but we're not actively publishing articles at the moment. And I guess, you know why, right. because of Minerva, I haven't had the, had the chance to, to submit so much. I like work a, a lot on this project. And unfortunately, I couldn't find somebody who wanted to take the button and lead it for me while I was in college. It, it's been a dormant for the past few months now, but it's still live enough if somebody wants to do check it out. But we're not actively posting content at the moment. The website is called tidingsmedia.org. So you mentioned you did participate in Model UN, and that was also what part of the inspiration for the recycling program that you did. But I know Model UN program itself is something that's very important. Yes, I think Model UN has been probably the single most impactful activity on my life because not because of just the topics which I learned in Model UNs, but the soft skills which I built along the process of meeting new people, discussing these ideas, learning how to share my thoughts more clearly, and just building self-confidence within myself to talk about big issues confidentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it a high school program? Yeah, so Monument is a common, I guess, activity for high schoolers and even college kids. There's a lot of college model events happening. And I think I got into model event mainly because I come from a fairly bad mm -hmm. school where we didn't have any access to any competitions. We didn't have a debate team. We didn't have a quiz team. We didn't have any sort of events going on, any clubs in, in our school. But the one thing which we did have was mm -hmm. model event. So naturally, I only had one source of events. I think the reason why I find Model UN so inspiring is because it gave me the platform, it gave me the opportunity to grow tremendously as a person. So initially in like say seventh grade when I was not doing Model UN, I grew up to have a very, very, very severe speech impediment wherein I could not say my own name, I could not speak a single sentence without say stuttering. And I was still like that until say eighth grade wherein I just signed up for a Model UN club. I was like, you know, I don't really know what Model UN is, something's happening, we don't don't know but I got a form I filled a quiz I was like accepted to join the club and then once I actually got to the club meeting we had to retweet out a single line from a newspaper in front of the club members which is like I guess 30 people and I could not see that one line and I was like so embarrassed because of that I was incredibly scared I was incredibly nervous incredibly anxious I went to the second meeting and I was slightly better this sort of gave me like a system. You know what? I'm really bad at this right now. But if I try again and again, I'll get slightly less bad. And that was my approach with mm -hmm. Model UNs. I went to my first Model UN conference actually in eighth grade. I spent four full days sitting on my chair and I didn't say a single mm -hmm. word because people there were so fluent. They were so good at what they were doing in that conference that I was incredibly intimidated to participate. 
But then in my second conference, I mustered the courage to speak mm-hmm. one speech of a piece of paper, which is forbidden or like looked down upon in modern events because the whole idea is to like talk it impromptly. So I took a piece of paper, hit my face behind that, and I just talked for mm-hmm. two, three minutes. And you know what? After that one speech and that one, my first ever time talking in front of a crowd, my hands were shaking. I was, my heart rate was probably at 200 or something. <laughs> and I couldn't hear what was happening outside. I didn't know how I did, but the entire room clapped. And that gave me an, a lot of courage that even if I don't speak well, if the things that, that I'm speaking are of value, then I'm worthy of speaking in a way. Mm. That gave me the courage in my third conference to speak twice, in my fourth conference to speak five times. This growth wasn't linear. In, in my sixth conference, I didn't speak anything at all because once again, I had speakers who were incredibly good and I was scared once again. When I participated in almost 40 conferences and gradually with time, I was able to speak better and better. I think for the most part, I have reduced my speech impediment and I'm moderately fluent now. This actor gave me that chance to make those mistakes, go out of my comfort zone and still be okay with me messing up. That environment was so, I guess, in a way welcoming that even if I was stuttering really bad and I could not say a single word for say 20 seconds, 30 seconds, I was not frowned upon and that has changed my life. And that's why I find modern events to be so incredible powerful because it's not just a platform to discuss about international affairs but it's a platform for people to meet people they can talk to and learn from you know personally i really now wish i participated in it because i know we had it at my school but i think there may be like 10 people in the club and i had no idea what happened in it if I could do high school again, I would now go to Model UN. You've convinced me thoroughly. I wouldn't do high school notes again, but sure. I know another really big thing in your life is effective altruism. And I know you <coughs> you did a whole thing at Minerva. You led a course with some students, but also you're working, I think, with Berkeley. Yes, I started the Effective Altruism Club at Minerva. And I think presently, more than even economics in my life, I'm learning about and I'm interested in effective altruism. That is mainly because of, I guess, my interest in social impact. And I believe that effective altruism is a way to maximize my own mm-hmm. impact. I'm still fairly new to, to, the, to this field. That's why I think I'm spending so much time engaging with it and learning more about it to see if I actually like this or not. And and I learned about this field a couple of years ago from a friend of mine who is a member of the Stanford Effective Autism Club. So he was hosting a, a workshop for people around the world. I felt like I had learned the basics enough that I could potentially start something of my own. And that's when in February, after doing that fellowship, we started a chapter of that fellowship which I did online at Minerva as part of the Effective Autism Club. Effective Autism is a field that is about maximizing social impact. There are tons of ways people can try and help the world, but the reality is the the scope for doing good things is so vast that you need to prioritize some some causes over others and you need to prioritize some ways of helping the world over others. Effective altruism is a field that works on A, finding the, the most important causes which demand our attention right now to work on them and gives people the chance to maximize their impact. I think a good example is, is that if say you have $100 and you want to donate somewhere, you can donate to a homeless person, you can donate to a dog shelter, you can donate to a war going on in some part of the world, you can donate to your, your local church or climate change. There are so many ways of potentially donating somewhere. What do you do with that money? And what's the best use of, of that money? That's when effective altruism comes in. Effective altruism does the research for you and gives you a list of say five or ten most important causes right now. Just the fact that with this field, I can potentially learn ways to maximize my own impact and make the world a better place in a better way is how and why I like this field right now. What we were saying earlier with like, like economics is just, it's using numbers 
to actually change the world. And that like what you just said about effective altruism is like, I think the perfect example. In a way, it's like maximizing, I guess, the utility of your social impact. And I think the reason why I'm studying economics right now is because I feel like once again, if I want to do, to do good in this world, this field gives me a lot of opportunities to do good. know broadly what you want to accomplish, a field you want to dive deeper into, or um, some goal you're working towards, or like some cause that you want to help solve? Yeah, I think I'm still too young to have one cause that I care deeply about, but by learning about effective altruism, I've learned about some of the most important causes. In the long term, I potentially see myself working in, I think, one of three causes. One thing that, that, that I care deeply about is animal welfare. Second is climate change. And finally, the, the third thing which I think I care deeply about would be poverty. And introducing the poverty out of the world, working on poverty alleviation programs. And I think right now, a potential career path that I could be working on my way to would be to starting or working in a development economics lab or somehow working to alleviate poverty. I wish you the best of luck with that. I think what I want to do is very similar. So hopefully we'll see each other down the line somewhere in this world. So just a few final questions, but what is your favorite song? For Wind Rhapsody. I'm a huge Queen fan and I think in the summer of 2019 or 2020, I spent three or four months listening to, to, to the song wow. every single day. What about your favorite book? I'm not sure what my book is, but I can tell you my most impactful book that I've read. That is, in a way, one of my favorite books. This would be this book called The Little Book of Stoicism by, I think, Jonas Salzberg. This was a book that has been incredibly helpful for me in making my own mindset. Okay, the final question I have is, you could describe how you feel about the future with one word. What would the word be? I want to say something like doomed because... The way we are going right now, the way economic systems are functioning, the way politics is going into a century before, and we're having an extremely bad repercussions of climate change already. If we continue the way that we're going right now, I think my world is doomed. If the current way is leading to doom, mm -hmm. that also gives us an incredible amount of opportunity to do better. And Hopefully we shall. If you're someone who wants to do something better, if, you want, if you're someone who wants to say change the world, there is no better time than right now to start something. There's an incredible amount of opportunity in the world right now to make a positive impact. That's, that's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Yash, for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Leo. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and automatically get notified about new episodes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at humansofminerva.podcast for the latest updates and announcements. And finally, special thanks to our editor, Cassandra Cruz, for working her magic on this episode. Thanks for listening to Humans of Minerva.